Welcome, welcome to Freaked Out with your co-hosts, Liz and Landon. What's up, everybody? Today, we will be covering the case of the fourth worth missing trio. Yes, we did not expect all of what happened to happen. We're definitely excited to share what we have found out for you. This episode might be a little bit on the longer side, so we need to get right into it right away. Now, this case took place back in 1974, 11 years before I was born. So we're going back in time. Rachel and Renee and Julianne all went missing while Christmas shopping at Seminary S Shopping Center in Fort Worth, Texas. Now, the car the girls were driving was an Oldsmobile 98 and was left behind in the Sears parking lot at the mall, and the girls have not been seen since. This case has been unsolved for 48 years. It is astonishing that we have yet to find out anything about this case. The girls had planned to be back from the mall by 4 p.m., but they did not get home, and the families decided to go out and search for them at the mall. Obviously, they didn't find the girls, but what they did find was Rachel's car. Now, according to sources, there were sightings of the girls with a man at the mall all over the place. This reminds me of the Austin yogurt shop murder, where the girls went shopping at the mall prior to going to the yogurt shop. It also reminds me of that story because it was also located in Texas, but obviously that case was in the 90s, so highly unlikely they are connected, but it is something good to note. Since we have absolutely no clues leading up to what played in their disappearance, let's look in the background of everyone's life and what took place prior. Now, Rachel, being the oldest, she was 17, married to a man named Tommy. Rachel and Renee were both students at Southwest High School in Fort Worth, Renee being 15. And before Rachel got married, she was living really close by to Renee, and they lived in the Green Briar Park area. Rachel and Renee's families were very close, and they spent a lot of time doing activities like hunting and fishing together. I want to point out as well that Rachel was still in high school and married at 17, and Tommy was 22 at the time that they got married. Tommy had a son, Sean, that was only two years old from a previous marriage, and he had just found out that his son would be spending Christmas with them that year. Now, Rachel had already gotten a gift for Sean in the car, but because he was going to be there in the morning, she figured she'd go to the mall and grab a few other presents for him. Rachel had asked her sister Deborah to come to the mall with her since Deborah actually lived with Rachel and Tommy, but unfortunately everyone had stayed up until 4 a.m. that morning playing Canasta, which is a card game that, if anybody doesn't know, so she was a little tired. According to sources, Rachel then asked her best friend Renee, if she wanted to go to the mall with her that day. And Renee was actually at her grandmother's house where she had spent the night. She usually stayed at her grandparents on the weekends while her mom worked at the local dry cleaners. Now across the street from her grandmother's house was Julianne's house. And that's when she agreed to go to the mall with Rachel. She was with Terry. Terry and her were going steady and he had his nine-year-old sister with him. Now, Rachel had asked Terry if he wanted to go, and he said he wanted to, but he had to catch up with a friend. He was about to go into surgery. Now, his little sister was with them at the time. She overheard the conversation, and she begged to go. They told her that she needed to get permission from her mother, and her mother reluctantly agreed because she didn't really know Rachel. 
Terry had given her a promise ring the day before Christmas. They had their gift exchange that day because they weren't going to be able to see each other for Christmas. Now, Rachel had showed up at noon to pick up Renee and Julia to go to the mall. They first stopped at the surplus store so Renee could pick up two pairs of jeans that Renee had put on layaway. Renee put both pairs of jeans in the car, took one off, and then exchanged it for what she was wearing and left that in the vehicle. That is all we know about what took place prior. What happened directly after was Rachel's mother was on the scene first at the mall after the girls didn't show up at five. The car was locked and everything inside seemed to be okay. Rusty, Rachel's little brother at the time, remembers his mother and him going into the mall and looking from store to store to store to look for the girls. They did this until the mall closed and the Fort Worth police were not too concerned. They didn't assume anything had happened. The police thought that the girls just ran off somewhere and that they would be back once they ran out of money or ran out of things to do. And of course, the police assumed that. I can understand maybe them thinking that, you know, assumption for maybe Rachel, but Julia and Renee, there was no reason for them to run away. But we'll get into that a little later. The police had brought Tommy to her car and asked him to look at it and see if there was anything out of place. Tommy had said everything looked normal except a few items that were missing from the glove box. Now, the items that he claimed had been missing was $150 worth of bonds, and he claims that he had bought those bonds while he was with his first wife and his parents' will and testament. Such unusual things to take from a vehicle and to be kept there. Very irresponsible. Anybody could just break in and take those items anytime they wanted. I don't understand why he didn't move those into his house. I agree. And then again, he's only 22. Although he already had two wives, maturity level, I'm not sure it was where it needed to be. For those of you interested in Tommy's parents had passed away recently within a year of each other from natural causes. He also doesn't know if he removed them himself or they had been misplaced. Very irresponsible to not even know. Also, there was never any sort of report suggesting that he found these items later on, so who knows? Well, the three fathers of the missing girls had staked out the mall that night. They all had their shotguns ready and waiting. They were hoping that something or someone would come by and potentially come back to the scene of the crime to maybe get something out of the vehicle. Just an FYI, Tommy had been working that day at the transmission shop that was originally owned by Rachel's father. He had sold it to Tommy for 10 grand. Now, everyone assumes that because Rachel's father, Cotton, had been diagnosed with stage four cancer, that this is the reason that he sold the shop to Tommy. The next day at Tommy and Rachel's home, where Tommy and Deborah were, and remember, Deborah is Rachel's sister, they received a very unusual letter in the mailbox. Tommy and Deborah had contacted the police about the letter that was sitting in the mailbox that morning. Now let's talk about this letter for a moment. Rachel's name was written in pencil in the upper left corner of the envelope. Now the letter says, and I quote, I know I'm going to catch it, but we just had to get away. We're going to Houston. See you in about a week. The car is in the Sears upper lot, Rachel. This letter was so unusual and so confusing. It basically suggested that Rachel picked up and left with these two minors for shits and giggles, which doesn't make any sense. 
really doesn't. Like, why wouldn't she just bring the car back? Exactly. And the kids. Right. Well, good old Tommy was extremely helpful. Tommy was hopeful that his wife would be back within a week. However, Rachel's family was not convinced that Rachel had even written that letter to begin with. It just didn't make sense to them at all. The other two girls and their family members as well were not convinced by this letter. It looked as though the only person convinced by the letter was Tommy. Shocker. Obviously, social media was not a thing back then in the 70s, so news could not travel that quickly. It took till about January 1st for a man that had known Rachel's father to come forward and even talk about his interaction with Rachel at the mall. On January 1st, a man that had known Rachel had called her father to let her know that he had seen her that day on December 23rd in the mall. Now, he claimed that he had seen her in the record department of the store in the mall. He'd briefly spoken with Rachel. The man had noticed that there was another person with Julie, Rachel, and Renee, though it was a guy, but there was no mention of him anywhere else in the missing person case. There was no description listed about this guy and what he looked like either. I don't even understand why none of these details were ever forwarded. But anyways, at least not from what I can find anyway. This is probably one of the first stories that we've heard on record about a psychic being involved. Renee's mother had gone to a psychic and his name was Jay Joseph. And he had told her things about Renee that she wouldn't expect him to know that she had been wearing red and white tennis shoes, and that information was not disclosed to the public. Before I can carry on a little further, I tried my hardest to find this guy. I wasn't able to find much about him, or if at all. Specifically, I found one guy born in like 1959 that was doing readings, but there was no mention of this case anywhere. So I'm not sure if he's dead or alive. I can't feel his energy, which is frustrating because something happened while we were writing up this episode. Yes, Liz was using the talk to text to make it a little easier so that she can write this up faster. And as she was doing this, she was writing the sentence, Jay Joseph asked Tommy if the number 150 meant anything. And the predictive text wrote, can you believe that the girls are being held captive? It gave me so many chills up and down my spine. It was such a massive mindfuck. And that's why I went and looked to see if I can find this dude and try to maybe talk to him beyond the grave. But like I said, I wasn't able to figure anything out. Either way, it does make sense. But we'll get back into that a little later as well. Now, going back to the psychic Jay Joseph, he had asked Tommy if the number 150 had meant anything to him, and he told the psychic that there was $150 worth of bonds in his glove box, and that was the only connection to the number 150 he could think of. Jay Joseph also felt like they were close to a lake and horses and thought that they were north to uh, Grapevine, Oklahoma area. He also said that there were three to five people that were involved, and he also gave them a little message. He told him that if he never sees them again, then the girls would be dead. Tommy had never seen the psychic again. What a cryptic message. I would never say that in a million years to somebody. Like, who would say something like that? By the way, if you don't see me, that means the girls are dead. Like, you know what I mean? And then one day, like, you know, I don't know, 50 years later, imagine seeing the guy. I just think it's weird. I know we can't control the signs, but I just feel like this guy didn't get enough information. This dude was trying to give some sort of lasting impression, I guess. 
As time progressed, it became a bit of a joke to some of the public, and things started to get extremely out of hand. On January 8, 1975, a friend of Richard Wilson, which is Renee's father, received a phone call around 6 p.m. from a girl saying that she was a friend of Renee's, and the girls would be arriving home that night around 7.25 p.m. on a Greyhound bus from Houston. They all rushed to the bus, and the girls, shockingly, were not on it. Renee's mother had a feeling that someone was watching as they were waiting by the bus stop and laughing. Kind of like somebody was mocking them for their efforts. Absolutely. Now when Renee's mother got home, her house had been burglarized while she had been gone. No details of exactly what went missing. I think that's definitely something that could have been, you know, informed to the public, but whatever. Apparently, we're not going to get those details either. Which would be good and Again, another big shocker that they knew the killers or culprits, whatever, knew they weren't going to be there because they've obviously been stalking them at some point to know they weren't going to be home to go ransack this house now. Exactly. Now, the families are receiving phone calls from many people with all kinds of fake information pretending to be the girls. On January 7th, Julie's mom received a phone call. She had heard nothing on the phone. She kept saying, hello, 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 into the phone. And she heard the faintest, mama. And she could have sworn it was Julie's voice. She then asked if it was Julie. And Julie said, yes. And then she asked where she was. And she said, I don't know. And then she hung up the phone. Now, the girl was able to say mama one more time before she had hung up. But she said that her daughter sounded drugged. Two days later, Rachel's family received another call from north richmond hill now the police at this point were tracing where those calls were coming from they were actually able to drag it back to a 14 year old girl not connected to this case at all she admitted to making three calls to the wilson's family where she didn't say anything and one of where she told julie wilson that she was renee wilson she did deny that she did not make a call to renee's mother I did want to mention before I forget, but the 14-year-old did not tell the police this part, but she and a bunch of her friends were doing this to the parents. They thought it would be really funny. Of course they did, because they have nothing better to do at 14. Let's go fuck with the family that's already traumatized. Exactly. Another lead in March 14th, 1975, an elderly woman had stated, you know, four months later, that she had witnessed an abduction of the three girls. Miss R.W. Arnold said that she learned that three clerks at the shopping mall, they were there with a yellow pickup truck with lights at the top. She said the two girls with a man were in the truck and she noticed another girl being forced into a truck by another man. There's also a very unusual thing that happened with the private investigator that the family ended up hiring. He committed suicide and also requested burning all of the photos and all the evidence from all the cases that he has done. So that was a very unusual situation, but no connection to the case. If you want to look into that a little further, you're welcome to look that up as well. I agree. There's no sort of connection to the actual case itself, so no reason to talk about it. But there is something we do want to talk about here in further detail, just to give you guys a little bit more perspective. Now, do we remember Tommy? Well, we did get a little information on him. Now, how wonderful. He did end up filing for divorce because of abandonment from Rachel. Not too long after she had gone missing, which in my opinion is 
such a selfish thing to do, but again, I'm not Tommy. According to sources, Tommy had a track record. He was married to a woman by the name of Shauna. Shauna is the mother of his son, Sean. He'd only been divorced for 43 days, then had already got engaged and remarried again. And uh, do you want to hear who he was engaged to? Obviously, he was married to Rachel. But before he got married to Rachel, he was dating and engaged to Deborah. Deborah being Rachel's older sister by two years. And remember, Deborah was staying with Rachel and Tommy at the time because she had gotten out of a relationship herself. And even though he was not only with her, but engaged to her, they all lived under the same roof. Another thing I want to mention, which I found shady, Tommy had also put $1,000 into the reward fund and then took it back around the time that, you know, he filed for divorce from Rachel. This guy seems to be very interested in getting married a lot. Here's another interesting fact about Tommy. We already know that he was married to Shauna and he was married to Rachel and that he was engaged to Deborah. But soon after the divorce was filed to Rachel, he had got married to a Josephine. And then, you guessed it, he got divorced again and ended up getting married to Ruby Fox. And then he got, again, divorced one more time and now he is married to somebody by the name of linda and he was able to stay married to her for 40 years so far now that's the reason i feel like rachel definitely had some anger towards you know her sister and him and there were also a lot of details indicating that the two of them were having problems and then adding deborah to the mix mm, there were also even more problems According to sources, the three of them were bowling the night before, and apparently everyone was fighting, so it was not a happily ever after. Renee was head over heels in love with her boyfriend, Terry, and they were obviously intentions for them to get married one day. Even though she was only 15, they had talked about that already. Either way, there would be no reason for her to just get up and run away and Julia, well, there was no reason for her to go. She was only a little kid, nine years old. Absolutely. And when I tell you guys, it's going to probably freak you right out. Like we said earlier, this case is extremely long. There's a lot of details to go through. So I'm hoping we can get all the details to make sense for you guys. Let's start at step one. Were you able to connect with the three girls? I was absolutely able to connect with all three girls. And I'm sad to say that they've all passed on, even though... There had been talks of sightings of Rachel. I do not feel like that is accurate. All right. Well, let's take us back to that time. I don't even know where to start. There's so many directions to go in. The first person I was able to connect to was Rachel. She came to me fairly quickly, just when we had started working on it. I didn't even have to channel her very hard, which was great because she was not hard to find. She was telling me to keep track of names and that the names that were used most frequently throughout the case were probably the people responsible. Now, she was extremely cryptic, even more cryptic than normal, which is now why I'm thinking that this psychic Jay Joseph had extremely cryptic information. Anyway, she shows me that she and Deborah did have a really good relationship for a long period of time. Deborah... As described by many people previously, and also by Rachel, was one who had a very hard time with authority. She was the bad girl. She didn't like people telling her what to do. And from what I can see, 
the relationship was really good until Rachel got married to Tommy. Now, from what Rachel shows me, Deborah and Tommy were in a relationship for approximately two weeks. And although they got engaged during this time, it was a very sexually driven relationship. And at the end of the two weeks, Deborah had felt like Tommy became extremely obsessive. She was not someone who could just be kept in a box. And Tommy was looking for a woman to keep in a box and also help raise his son and also have like three or four more children soon. Now, Deborah was not interested in that. In fact, it made her break out in hives with the thought. But Deborah also didn't want to hurt his feelings. So she came up with this uh, a wonderful plan to hook her current fiance up with her sister because her sister was just much better for that idea of marriage, I guess. The idea of being a wife and wanting children, she was that typical woman that Tommy was looking for. So she had suggested to Rachel for her and Tommy to talk. Well, I know this is probably an obvious question, but Deborah and Tommy had been sexually involved, obviously. Yeah, and from what Rachel showed me, they were having sex around the clock and Rachel knew about it. In fact, Deborah shared all the nitty gritty details and they were sleeping together a lot in public places as well. That is just very unusual. She was like pimping her sister off. It's extremely strange, honestly. But from what Rachel told me, there was also like another guy that was like more badass and, you know, biker. She was more interested in him and she wanted to be with him. And Tommy, unfortunately, was interfering with her hooking up with this other guy. So how did she go about doing all this? So Rachel shows me that she had them come together and she kept telling Rachel to get on top of his lap. They were drinking to kiss him. Isn't he such a good kisser? It was a very unusual dynamic. But Rachel ate it up. And because she really thought Tommy was good looking, she was very interested in him and she was naive. She said okay and went with it. And Tommy was confused because he was extremely attracted to Deborah and really liked the confidence and how she carried herself. So he didn't necessarily want to be with Rachel, but he went along with it because it's what Deborah wanted. Well, I would definitely say that's pretty strange. As time progressed, Deborah kind of hinted at the fact that she wasn't ready for the idea of marriage, but she knew that Rachel is just as perfect for him and that he should be interested in her. I believe a lot of conversations happened between Deborah and Tommy during this time frame because from what I gather, Tommy was physically attracted to Rachel, but he was very much still in love with Deborah. I bet Rachel felt pretty distraught about all that. She was in La La Land. She felt like her sister was throwing him a bone and that she was happy. She shows me that she had no idea that her sister and Tommy were having these conversations behind her back. She had no idea that Tommy only did a lot of this for Deborah, including the engagement. And from what Rachel shows me, he may have even recycled the engagement ring. So romantic. Right? Anyways, from what Rachel showed me, they ended up having sex, but I believe they only had sex a couple of times before they got married. She wasn't necessarily ready for it. She shows me that she really didn't know much about it and she wasn't as sexually driven as her sister was. And Tommy didn't really have the sexual connection he did with Deborah. Well, I can see where this is going. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about the timeline here. He dated Rachel for about two weeks, and I think very quickly... They started the process and the divorce got finalized and then they got married pretty quickly after that. But it looks like they were married within a three month period of when things started to get bad. 
And all this was going on. Rachel had told her father how much she loved him and that he was really making her happy because although he wasn't the best guy and Cotton was pretty abusive and he had his cancer-related issues, he wanted his daughter to be set for life. So he gave Tommy a shot. I know that he sold the shop for 10000 but I believe that Tommy obviously had the money from his parents' passing. So there was a lot of really good things in place for the two of them. Absolutely. Now, Rachel thought that she was having all her dreams come true. Precisely. Rachel and Tommy were only married for approximately one month when she found out some of the indiscretions with Tommy. Now, this is the day and age where cell phones and the internet didn't really exist at all. So people had to actually, you know, see each other in person and speak to each other or, you know, on a landline. He was spending a lot of time with Deborah. Deborah sometimes calls the transmission shop. She would sometimes come to the house. There were times where Rachel was at school and because Deborah wasn't in school, she'd be at the house. She found them in very compromising positions and... He would hug her and hold her, and sometimes she'd sit on his lap. It made Rachel extremely uncomfortable, and this is where her and Deborah's relationship started to go downhill from here. Now, did Rachel ever tell anybody about any of this? Oh, yeah. She told Renee everything. Renee was the only person that knew about it. And Tommy knew that Renee and Rachel shared everything because he had heard them on the phone many times over talking about the situation. And, of course, Rachel would cry to Renee. Now, did Rachel confront Tommy about any of this or Deborah? Yes, she did quite often. She confronted them together on multiple occasions. She confronted them separately, but the two of them rolled their eyes and tell her that she was being a child and that a man and a woman can be friends and flirtatious and relax. And the only reason that she even had Tommy in the first place was because Deborah gave him to her, remember? The two of them would laugh and talk about how she didn't know how to be an adult quite yet. Then they would make her feel very, very small. It breaks my heart, honestly, because Rachel was not happy. So we know that Deborah came to live with them. So why did Rachel even let that happen? She says she didn't really have a fucking choice in the matter. It looks like all of the plans were made behind her back. And Rachel and Tommy were home one night and Deborah called crying on the phone and saying she needed a place to go because this guy she was with was abusing her. And so she brought her stuff right over to the house and Tommy let her come in. I feel like Rachel had told Tommy she was not interested in Deborah being there, but he told her it was only going to be temporary. Yes, temporary. Definitely not. And from what Rachel shows me, she was running around the house pretty much naked other than when the sun was around. And she was constantly drinking and Tommy and her would spend hours upon hours staying up at night and talking Rachel had no idea what was genuinely going on, but from what I can see, Rachel shows me that she found out later that the two of them were still sleeping together. Ugh. And for quite a bit of time, honestly, when Rachel was at school, Tommy and Deborah found ways around her schedule. Did Rachel ever find out during her time with Tommy? She suspected because she did catch them in a very compromising position. She believed them, even though they, you know, would fight constantly. At least she would tell herself that. The night before she went missing, did they end up actually playing canasta until 4 a.m.? Unless canasta is code for the horizontal mambo, no. In fact, Rachel didn't even ask Deborah at all to go to the mall because she was sick of seeing her face. And they were in a very bad place. But anyways... It did happen the night before. 
There was definitely a fight at the bowling alley. The fight escalated even more. And although they were fighting until approximately 2 a.m., I see that Rachel went to bed. I see that Tommy and Deborah were awake. And from what Rachel shows me, this was not uncommon. So what happened next? So we're going to rewind a few hours. Before they went to the bowling alley, she shows me that an unexpected change of plans surrounding little Sean came up with staying during Christmas, just kind of thrown on their laps. And that is why Rachel had initially wanted to go to the mall, but she also wanted to go with Renee so she can talk some advice and tell her about something pretty significantly happening in her life. This was the perfect time to go and do that and be alone and talk about her issues. I feel like she didn't get a chance to really talk to her about it, especially the new stuff going on. So she wanted to catch up. What took place next? From what I can see, Rachel shows me that she doesn't know exactly what transpired here. Again, she's telling me a lot of cryptic things. She is all about the details surrounding her relationship. She gave me those with no issues. But she also shows me that at the same time, some sort of prank was supposed to happen. Something to like screw with Rachel. There was a phone call placed to a guy that Tommy and Deborah kind of mutually knew. They decided that Rachel was taking life too seriously and she needed to learn a lesson. And the two of them came up with this elaborate plan and they were drinking and making all these plans late that night. Were any of the other girls able to give you any other details? They didn't talk too much, but yeah. Renee was able to step forward and give me a little more information on this than Rachel. I think perhaps because it's too hard for Rachel or whatever the case may be, but yes. Renee was able to shed some light on it. Now, before Rachel had picked up the girls at the mall, it looks as though Tommy decided to continue to carry on with this prank. And from what I can see, he knew the guy. I'm trying to figure out his name. It could be Alex or Alec. That's the family name. He looks like a big, burly, white dude who does drink quite a bit. Looks much older, actually. He's got the grays. Definitely has some sort of connection to a gang, a biker gang. Wears some serious boots. And he did hang out with Tommy a lot at his transmission shop. The plan was that these guys were going to kidnap the girls, essentially, and then drop them back off home later and kind of scare them because he had known that Renee was going to be coming along. He did not have any inkling that Julia was going to be there, though. He just wanted to do it with the two girls as like a joke. Well, obviously, the child, Julia, was with them, so this didn't work out in the way that they wanted it to. So what happened? There's a few pieces missing, and I'm really trying my absolute hardest to obtain them, and maybe I will the next time I do a run at this uh, case. But I see that this guy that wasn't necessarily the one to screw with the girls, but maybe sent someone else he knew to screw with the girls. I see that he didn't necessarily know these other two guys too well, but then I also see that he knew them well. So, like, it's really conflicting. But anyways, a friend of his basically was the one who was going to kidnap them. I don't believe that he was with them at the mall. However, I do believe he was following them around in the mall. And then a second assailant as well. But from what I gather, nobody knows who he is. I don't know. I just don't see that Tommy has any connection to guy A and guy B. The second guy has a lot more mental health problems. Very thin, thin man in his 20s. But I think he did a lot of drugs, so his teeth were pretty jacked. I feel like he's 
looking a lot older than he is, you know. I see that this guy was a pedophile. The other guy was the friend that was friends with Alec guy that Tommy is friends with. He also has a rap sheet of hurting and raping girls in the past. So they were definitely up to not a prank, but they decided to go in a different direction. I'm feeling as well that like this guy was the one who tried to convince Tommy to do this. But in reality, he's like the mastermind behind it. It's just a really weird situation. That sounds really fucked up. So what happens next? So I feel like the guy that had seen Rachel in the store, he was telling the truth. I do feel like he's completely accurate. I do see like that they were having a conversation about Christmas and, you know, nicety niceties. And in reality, this guy was like kind of sitting behind them wearing like a darker black jacket. And he was kind of like, creeping around the records i don't believe that there was a yellow truck i believe it was a black truck but i do feel like there was definitely the yellow lights so the first guy the skinny guy we'll call him frank and then the other guy who was big a burly biker dude with a little bit more of the better looks we'll call him ted so ted was waiting in the vehicle which i do believe was that truck I'm seeing that Ted came into the mall to see what was taking so long because Frank was taking a really long time. And I feel like Frank tried to hit on Rachel and I see that she gave him like no attention. So I think Frank told Ted he'd take care of it. Then there was some sort of con, um, some sort of ploy, I'm not sure, to get the girls in the truck. I feel like they went willingly with him. I do feel like they offered her something free and I'm thinking they're referring to the little one, Julia. I wish I knew exactly what, but unfortunately, at this moment, I don't have those details. I'm feeling that they had a lot of shame with it, I guess. But anyways, they decided to go in with the guys. And I believe that they stated that they would just be going around the corner. And the girls went willingly in this truck. Now, although Julia was a little frightened, she went along with the girls because she felt cool hanging out with two high school girls. What could possibly go wrong? I see that this was at approximately 3 p.m. when it all was going on, so they did have a lot of time. Now, with what is being said, the girls show me that obviously they were not brought back and they were driven somewhere pretty far away, actually. The guy was waiting for them to show up at the shop as a prank, fun and games, and no one showed up. Everyone started to get worried at this point. I don't know why, but I literally, like, this image just keeps popping in my head. And it, like, I keep seeing, like, candy, cotton candy, and I keep hearing the word carnival. Interesting. It's, like, just really prominent when you were talking about you're not sure what was, like, given because they felt, like, shamed. So I feel like it was, like, right as you said that, it was, like, I seen, like, an excessive amount of candy and then cotton candy. And then as I'm seeing these two images, I keep hearing carnival, 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 like winter carnival. Hmm. Okay. Well, thank you for that. Maybe we'll be able to point something in that direction at some point. We'll look into that a little further too. Thank you. Anyways, I'm probably wrong because I don't do this, but. <laughs> Stop. So they were supposed to bring the girls now to the transmission shop. Yes. And no one showed up. When it started to get a little later, that's when Tommy started to get a little worried. And even his friend was getting a little worried, or at least he was pretending to be. 
They tried to call the friend that took the girls, but there was no answer. And then they tried again a few times, and I believe they finally got the mother on the phone since it was the mother's house. And because it wasn't his own place, she picked up. According to the mother, she said something like, oh, Ted, Ted was headed to Houston for the holidays and would be back later, maybe in a week. So was Tommy like, you know, freaking out at all at this point or was he just like still chill? From what Rachel shows me, he was nervous that she might run off with another guy because he was already paranoid because there was another guy in the picture as well that she talked to every so often. High school friend. So his jealousy was really what took over. He did have like a little bit of concern. He felt like she was doing this to screw with him because they did have so many problems. Like that's where his head went. Well, he definitely sounds a little selfish. Yeah, he definitely does. He knew that everyone else would start freaking out and he tried to keep calm. And I do see that he called Deborah to give her an update and she was kind of shocked and a little stunned. And she said no matter what was going on with Rachel, she just wouldn't take off. But he was really convinced that, you know, she was doing this to get at both of them. And he tried to convince her that. So they both decided that in that moment to stop any sort of suspicion and just decided to, like, just write the letter based upon what the mother had said about this guy. So do we know who was the one who had wrote this letter? Deborah. And I see that Deborah was practicing a little bit. Maybe that's where the pencil came in. Deborah was also the one who got it stamped, but... I don't know. It maybe was stolen. It could have even been like a previous letter that was addressed because the letter didn't say Tommy. It said Thomas. So I feel like they were freaking out because they wanted everyone not to suspect the two of them being involved in this situation. Like they were really paranoid and they wanted Rachel to be like held accountable for going to Houston. So what really happened with the girls then? They were definitely held captive. I see that all three girls were placed in a basement. I do not think they actually went to Houston with these guys, although I do see that they definitely did not leave the state of Texas. They really don't know where they were. It looks like it was countryside. The house had a very abandoned feeling, but I'm not sure if they had anyone living there or not. But anyways, I do see that each and every single one of these girls were drugged and were repeatedly sexually assaulted. Was the guy's intention ever to let them go? Yeah, actually, there was a lot of intention and a lot of things that Tommy kept hidden. I see that there was some sort of ransom. Now, I feel like they wanted money for their safe arrival. Now, the friend, which is why I think he's involved heavily, was the go-to person. He was like the ransom note. And the friend would hang out with Tommy and be like, hey, I heard from my friend. He says he wants money, you know. I feel like this guy was genuinely like the mastermind. And I feel like this guy gave these men the impression that Tommy was rich. Now, Tommy's an idiot and alluded to being rich. But in reality, he was not. And I'm assuming that these men, although they had lots of money because his parents had passed away, they thought that Tommy still had this money and that he would give it to them so that they could get the girls back. Well, so Tommy, we all know, doesn't have any money. <laughs> he really didn't. And even when he did have money, he did buy the necessities of what he needed to continue to make money. He also spent money on equipment and toys. So he doesn't give them the money, obviously. So what happens next? The ransom was relayed by Tommy's friend and Tommy's friend told him he didn't have any money. He had a thousand dollars he could give. 
And he also suggested for this person to potentially take the ransom by coming forward and giving them the money. But they were not interested in any of that. They wanted something crazy like $100,000. They even suggested that $50,000 would be at least good for one girl, Rachel. The plan was supposed to be executed. Tommy was supposed to give the money to the friend. And then they told Tommy to drop it off somewhere or to give it to the friend. And that basically is why that they called the extended family so that no one can trace this call. The guy that was Tommy's friend also was down at the station waiting for the girls to appear. He was the middleman, and he was the one to let the other guys know if the money was given or not. Now, Tommy begged him to pretend that the money was handed over, but this guy absolutely refused to do that, and he said that if he did it, he would be next. As in, like, he would be killed next? Yes, that's what he told Tommy. And Tommy was also threatened, by the way, not to go to the police, and he seems to be a bit of a puss that way. Anyway, I don't feel like this guy was truthful to Tommy. I feel like he was honestly the con man and the one who was in control of the other guys because it just, it looks like he's a smart one and the other two are like the buffoons, you know? Yeah. Anyways, shortly after the situation, the girls were tragically killed. I'm not exactly sure how they were murdered. The girls aren't giving me too much detail on this at the moment, but I feel like this could potentially be an extension because i have a lot more to say another disturbing image in my head this one was very disturbing what was it i just see all three of them laying on a bed and like basically being raped until they just like bled out oh my god that's terrible anyways i have two questions the first one being was rachel seeing anyone in a romantic way Very good question. I do not feel like she was seeing anyone. She might have tried to make Tommy jealous by, you know, talking to that kid at school, especially the guy who she claims to be like an ex-boyfriend, but from like when she was five. I'm not exactly sure who he is. Maybe we'll find out later about that too. But Tommy would get angry and it would make her feel loved. And he would tell her not to hang out with him anymore. And she did it more because she was angry about the Deborah stuff. Okay, and my other question is, was Rachel pregnant at all at the time? This is intense, but she was definitely pregnant. She was not pregnant with somebody else's baby. It was Tommy's. I feel like she was planning to announce it to him on Christmas Day or New Year's. I believe she wanted to use the excuse to go pick up more presents for Sean, but in reality, she was trying to come up with some plans to kind of let him know. She felt like she could get her husband back. She had gotten a couple of items and she did take it with her into that guy's truck. Well, we definitely have a lot more questions. We will definitely be talking about this on our next live. We were initially going to be doing the Alexis Trevisa, but Liz had done a TikTok already on that. So we're going to do the rest of this on a live. So if you guys tune in next week on Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, you guys will be able to hear the rest of this episode. And you're not going to want to miss it. Oh, yeah. This episode is definitely something you won't want to miss. Next week, we'll be dropping Aaron Carter. And don't forget to join us on Thursday to listen to the rest of this episode. Looking forward to next week. Until next time, guys, stay freaked out.